Hello, everyone. Welcome. We love the, the vibe of sitting down. It's all comfy and cozy. Everyone's very far, so I'll, I'll yell. Unless you guys want to speak No, because then it's not. Um, but I'm Gabby. Yes. So I'm from, originally from Alabama. Born, raised in Birmingham, baptized into Tuskegee. Yes, ma'am. You know what I'm saying? Went to Auburn University, but now I'm in Atlanta. Super exciting. Moved there in August. Love it. Um, and uh, I'm excited to be here. What's up, guys? I'm Bryce. Bryce! I'm a member of Alpha Omega. Oh, Athens. And uh, yeah, student at UTA. Got baptized last fall at the no last spring spring retreat. At the so it's good to be back in, in the retreat seat. But, yeah, excited to share what we've been studying out. Yeah, so we're really excited about this this class and this topic, and it's cool because um, I think both of us have like God has put it on our hearts for some time um, just to be studying this out, and so. Um, when this came up, we were like, oh, yes, the spirit? 100% super excited. So, um, we'll let people continue to come in. This is something that both of us have been studying out for a while now. And so when the, the thought just came up in the meeting of who's doing what lessons and the spirit was thrown out, we just like jumped onto it. It was so exciting. Um, so just before we really like start digging in, I want to kind of like draw us back to like why y'all are here. You read the description about this question. And it was a question that was asked during um, a communion message I was a part of at the Northview Church of Christ, which amazing, amazing church, by the way. Shout out. There's no campuses there, so y'all y'all should y'all should visit there sometime. Represent. So one of the families there shared about, you know, if you were asked this question, who would you rather have with you? Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I feel like a lot of us would answer Jesus. I want Jesus with me. I want to walk with Jesus like the disciples did, right? Like I want to walk with him. I want to see how he lived. But in John, he tells us that he chooses the Spirit for us. He says it's for your benefit that I'm going away. Because I'm going to ask the Father to give you this advocate, this comfort, okay. this spirit. And so we're going to dig into who the spirit is. Why did Jesus say that it's better for us to have the spirit with us than Jesus in the flesh? So with that, I'm just going to let Daddy take the reins for a bit. Yeah. Um, so just to kind of set the stage for you guys. So I went to two universities. I went... I'll, I'll, I won't name them right now because of the, before the analogy, before the analogy. Um, and so one school had a lot of people that wore the same thing, acted the same. Um, and I think those students looked around and they accepted that this is a way to be a student. This is um, how I'm supposed to live. And it didn't take much effort for them to kind of 
conform and fit in. Um, but the other school was full of very unique individuals, um, people that expressed themselves. They were open um, and honest. <laughs> they shared their thoughts and they really flourished. And I think the environment of that university created and led to this uniqueness um, and the flourishing of their students. And so I think this can be us as disciples. Um, those of us that are fighting to follow God, we can be like the first school. We can do the right thing, um, but we become copy paste. Like we, we look like we're doing, like doing life with God, doing discipleship. Um, but really, we're not really living faithfully. Like we're we're pretty stagnant, um, and you know we're actually bored of our quiet times. We're wrestling with the same sin over and over again. We are trying to deny ourselves and be joyful, but we're really just depressed. Um, and I think that is the danger of not living the way that God has called us to. Yeah, yeah. But I think God calls us to live a different way, um, in a unique way like that other school. And so my question for you guys is, are you living a copy-paste life? Are you living a copy-paste discipleship? Or are you living a life filled with the Spirit? Um, and so we want to talk today about how the Spirit should change the way you live. Um, and Bryce is going to start us off by um, just explaining who the Spirit is and, and giving us that good foundation. Yeah. Before I begin, because uh, just a few people were still coming in, I just wanted to read John 16. Um, in verse 5. Now, by the way, throughout this whole study, read John. Read John. That's what I've learned. <laughs> Studying out the Spirit, read John. Mm -hmm. John 14 through 16 especially. There's just so much in like what God's plan is. But because we're going to be looking in there a bit, but definitely go back and dig in for yourself. John 16 verse 5 says, Now I'm going to ask him who sent me. This is Jesus speaking about God. Yet none of you asked me, where are you going? Because I've said these things, you're filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And it goes on talking about what the Spirit's going to do, the fruit that we'll bear. Um, and we'll get into that a bit, but that's just kind of, that's the importance that Jesus placed on the Spirit. So we should be definitely doing the same. Um, before we go, we, yeah, um, before we go into, like, what the Spirit's role has been, um, I just want to pray for us real quick. Just get our hearts, and, you know, Scripture says, this is an interesting, like, pattern. You pray in the Spirit through Christ, or in the name of Christ, to God, to the Father. Um, so let's just pray in the Spirit together for a moment. God, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have just to retreat and just to enjoy um, the joy that you've given us, that you've made perfect in us, God the fellowship that we have with one another. I pray that this whole retreat can be a time of learning, not just from these amazing classes that we have the opportunity to, to learn from, but in teaching each other during the, this, this free time that we have to fellowship um, and you know the Sunday lesson, all of these opportunities. I pray that we take what we've learned and continue to teach each other as we're learning back on campus and back in the rest of our lives. God, I pray that you speak through Gabby and I, that what we say cuts people to the heart because it's your word that's sharper than the double-edged sword. I pray that um, what, what's important is said and what's peripheral um, just is casted aside because we want to have our eyes solely focused on you and your plan for us. 
God, I pray that as we learn what your plan is for the Spirit, that we allow him to enter us and we see the work that he's doing, the fruit that he's bearing, and we allow that to spur us on doing greater things than Christ, as he says. Uh, we pray all these things in his name. Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, amen. amen. So, I think for me, whenever I heard like the Holy Spirit, I always, like, my mind went to New Testament. Just like, what's the Spirit doing? Fruits of the Spirit. Like, all these great things that's written about in the letters. But the thing that we need to know, understand about the Spirit is that His presence is in the second verse of the Bible. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters during creation. So, looking at what the Spirit's role was throughout all of God's plan is really important in seeing what made it so special when that dynamic between us and the Spirit shifted when Jesus came. So, if y'all want to turn over to Numbers 11. Really interesting passage here. But it, it demonstrates what God's plan was for the Spirit at this time. Um, go back and read through, honestly, this whole chapter of Numbers 11 and just to get a bigger picture. But we're going to read through verses 16 and 17 first. So Numbers 11 says in verse 16, The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's leaders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there. And I will take of the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. And so we see that the spirit is something that God uses to support Moses and all the things that he's doing for God. But the unique thing about how the spirit's working in this Old Testament is that it's God's effort. It's God putting his spirit on these people and taking it away. Because we go down to verse 24. Um... Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. And he brought together the 70 elders and he had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And he took of the spirit that was on him and put the spirit on the 70 elders. So this is God's action. He's putting the spirit onto them. When the spirit rested on them, notice that, the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they didn't do it again. They didn't prophesy after that. And so... God's purpose with the Spirit at this time was to put it on these people so that they could fulfill His will at that time. It was not for the Spirit to be living in them, to be walking with them throughout their whole life. Moses even, like, he, he pleads out, I wish this was the case. In verse 29, Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put His Spirit on, on all of them. And you can go back and read about, like, what prompted him to do this, but... Moses, this man who was godly, he saw God's vision. He saw what, what, how great it would be for a time when all of God's people had mm-hmm. his spirit. And even more than what Moses was pleading for, for the spirit to be on all the people, God went the step further. He gave, it, he gave the spirit to us so he would be with us through our life. So with that kind of context, let's look at what this development was in the New Testament. Turning over to Matthew 1. Talk about it, bro. So, what we know about Jesus and his life is that he had a relationship with the Spirit from his conception. In verse 18, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And again, it, it, a little bit later, it says, let me see if I wrote that down specifically. I don't think so. It says in multiple places throughout, you know, this gospel and the others that Jesus was conceived through the Holy Spirit. 
And so it's hard for me to like fully wrap my mind around what that relationship looked like, but <laughs> like conceived through the spirit. But I think the thing that's really cool is that even though Jesus had the spirit with him in whatever capacity that was, being conceived by the spirit, you know, it makes me, throughout the rest of the lesson, it'll make a lot more sense why Jesus lived his life completely blamelessly, without sin. He lived with the Spirit with him. Conceived through the Spirit from his birth, so there was no sin in him. And then we see the actual development of the Spirit's relationship with Jesus, turning it a little bit further in Matthew. Matthew 3, 16. One of the questions that I had when I first started studying out the Spirit was why would Jesus need to get baptized? Why would he need to do something to... You know, gain the spirit if he was conceived through it. Like, he already had the spirit with him. Like, it was in his genes. Like, how much more does he need? So, the unique thing... Good question. The unique thing about Matthew 3 is that... I'm just going to go ahead and read this. In verse 16, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said... This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. In Luke, the word that, they, that he uses is the spirit descended in bodily form. And so it's this different kind of presence in Jesus' life. It's this development in the relationship that he had with the spirit. It was, it was more personal. From the get-go, you know, he's born and he has the spirit. He was conceived through it. But now the spirit is in bodily form descending onto him. And we see what this does in his life because we, we look at the verse right after this. The, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is a very like, dense topic. So I'm going to be talking about what Jesus' relationship with the Spirit looked like as a result of going through the desert and being tempted. Yeah. I think something that we have to realize is that the Spirit and God ne neither is tempted nor tempts anyone. Right? That's a scripture. I'm blanking on where it is right James. now. James. James. Amen. James, exactly. We know that God ni is neither tempted nor tempts anyone, so I think a misconception some of us may have when we first read this or glance over it is just like, the Spirit's tempting Jesus. What's happening? Like, whoa, I, I don't like this. You know, he's getting the Spirit. He should be going and doing his ministry. He should be doing all these great things for God, but no, he's... He's put in a position of vulnerability. He's put in a position where he's tempted. And I've talked about this before with, uh, with the team ministry at Northview because uh, I interned there this past summer. And one of the things I wish I had said to them was like, how, how close have we gotten, honestly, like on this retreat so far, just the fellowship we had last night, just the time taking together and spending with each other. And the, way, the thing that I wish I had talked to them about was, you know, a lot of us have gone to Camp Swamp. How close do we get with our friends there when we're just spending a week of just yeah. time together? We're not distracted by technology. We're not distracted by these worldly things. We're in God's presence and just living our lives with each other. And so this is the goal of that the Spirit, this is the goal of the Spirit in this situation. He's bringing Jesus to this place where he's going to learn how to rely on the Spirit. They're going to spend 40 days of no distractions. He's not out there building tables in the forest. Like, he's not working. He is fasting. And he's fasting from everything so that he can learn to rely only on what the Spirit has for him. That's great. And so while he's in the, in, the, uh, in the desert, in the wilderness, being tempted, Mark and uh, Luke, the accounts of the temptation, say that he's tempted during this whole 40 days, but they 
make note that it's when he's exiting this 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 forty day fast that he feels hungry, yeah. and he's like recognizing this hunger. And in Matthew, it, it just says, you know, after the forty days, Jesus was hungry. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, etc. etc. Going through all of chapter four. So the significance of this is that. When Jesus is baptized, the Spirit comes down and he has this new relationship with Jesus. It's, it's relational. The Spirit doubles down on that. He takes Jesus under his wing, goes into the desert so that he learns only what it looks like to rely on him. And so during these 40 days, after he learns what it looks like to go to the Spirit in all things, he re-enters the world. And so he's coming out of this wilderness, out of this place that was... There's a prophecy in Isaiah that I love about that relates to the temptation... You know, a de- the desert will become like the fertile field. Mm-hmm. He goes into this desert, wow. desert, and it's just, it's just drenched in the spirit. Mm-hmm. And what's happening when he's coming out of this desert? He's leaving that. He's leaving that behind. You know, he could have easily just spent his whole life just with God, like just with the spirit. But that's not the reason that he came to Earth in the first place. Yeah, wow. So when he's re-entering the world, he's re- re-entering like what it has to offer. And Satan presents this in three specific ways. But we look at at First John. And just turn over there. First John, it's so beautiful the way that it... There's a scripture in Hebrews that, that says the same thing, but... First John 2 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So in, in this book, everything in the world is encapsulated by these three things. The craving of sinful man, the boasting of what he has and does, um, and the desires... Uh, what is it? I, cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does. Mm-hmm. If we look at the, the temptation that Jesus has in these three ways he was tempted, things line up pretty well. He's tempted to turn stone to bread. Right to satisfy the cravings of sinful man. He's tempted to throw himself off the cliff so that the angels would lift him up. Just the... So, there's... It's, the, the last two are a little bit more complex. You know, he, he's tempted to throw himself down so that angels would lift him up, and then he's tempted with all of the kingdoms of the world. So it's probably better if I talk about the kingdoms first. Satan says in, in this temptation account that he was given all authority all over all of the kingdoms of the world, and he's going to give that to Christ. You know, how much boasting could you have, the authority of all heavens and earth? Or not all, all of the kingdoms of the earth. He denies that. And then the third is throwing himself down to be lifted up by the angels. That's just the lust of the, like, this glory that you could receive by the validation that he denied. Even on the cross, Jacob was talking in the lesson I was in uh, just previously. You know, he denied calling these angels down. And he denied glorifying himself. He chose rather to glorify the Father. And we see what comes as a result of that. Instead of turning the stone to bread to satisfy his cravings in the moment, he goes on to follow what God does for him, and he feeds 5,000 with one loaf, with five loaves, and with seven again. But <laughs> he does so much more with God's power than what, with what the lower-resolution temptations Satan was trying to offer him with. Going into the second temptation, 
throwing himself down off this cliff, putting himself in danger, instead of doing that to glorify his own name, he goes out and heals the people who are actually sick. He says, That's, those are the people that I'm actually here to come for specifically. Those are the ones I'm hoping to heal. I don't need the healing, they do. And then the third, all kingdoms of earth. Satan says that he's been given authority over all of the kingdoms of earth. He denies that, and as a result, what do we see in all the letters? It says, everything, all heavens and earth, all authority has been given to him. All of it is put under his feet. And so that's something that we can learn from what Jesus' choice is here. When we deny these temptations of the world, it's because we know that we have faith that God will provide so much more than whatever Satan could be trying to deceive us is of value. So with that, I'm just going to hand it over back to Gabby. Yeah, no, I, all of that is so amazing. It's so cool to see the way that Jesus was in the desert, relied on the spirit, and then came out and did all of these amazing things. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to talk about, you know, our part of it. Like, how do we live by the spirit and deny the world? Um, so I want to go to Ephesians 5. Verse 15, we're in Ephesians this weekend, right? Um, cool. Can someone actually read for me verse 15 through 18? Be very careful in how you live, <coughs> not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So filled with the Spirit. That is, that is why we're here. Where we're at. Um, so it's cool. So Paul is making a comparison here. There's a distinct comparison between what we should do and what we shouldn't do, right? So there's um, don't live as unwise, but live as wise, right? And then there's don't live foolishly, but know God's will. Um and so, yeah, I think it's important for us to know, obviously, that we need to pursue wisdom. Um, but I think it's it's challenging when it comes to discerning God's will. Like, I think there's a lot of conversations around what does it mean? Like, what is God's will for my life? Like, do I go to this school? Do I date this person? Do I take this job? Like, what is God's will for me? Um, but I think I like to look at it this way, that... God's will is like a house. And when you go into a house, um, there's plenty of free space where you can move around. You can go upstairs and go downstairs. You can go in different rooms. But there's there's boundary lines, right? Like a wall is a boundary. The floor is a boundary. The ceiling is a boundary. Um, and so while you're in there, there's there's freedom, but there's also boundaries. And while we're when we're walking in God's will, there's not just one thing that God wants us to do, but there's space for the things that he wants us to do. But there's also things he does not want us to do, right? Like if you come to my house, um, I don't want your shoes on my table. That's not, I mean, you could like pop your feet up, but if you take off your shoes and put them on the dining table, I'm going to be like, okay, <laughs> leave. Um, so, you know, so there's certain customs to a, to a home as well. So, for example, there are certain things that are just not God's will. Like, God's will will never be for you to um, cheat on a test. God's will will never be for you to lie. Like, God's will is not sin. Um, And so, 
And then there's certain other certain things that we just have to discern. Like, God, is this the right step to take? Or are you saying maybe not? Um, and so, yeah, so it's important for us to figure out what are like the boundary lines that God has for us. Um, and there's a scripture in, in Psalm 16, it says the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so God's boundaries for us is so that we can experience freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it's a part of learning that discernment so that we know how to do that. So, um, yeah, I just like to think of his will as, as space for freedom with the boundary lines to guide us to him. Mm-hmm. And another way to know what God's will is, it's his will will never pull you away from him. Mm-hmm. So uh, here, Paul is saying that we should make decisions that lead us towards God. And um, some of us know the verse Romans 12, 2, that talks about do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you can test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Um, And so part of learning to discern what what God's will is, is the transformation of your mind. Um, And a part of transforming your mind is staying with God and having like-minded friends. Mm -hmm. And I just want to ask you guys, like, are your friends trying to grow with God and be transformed? Um, Are your friends trying to live by the Spirit? And I think, you know, some of us are are looking to get closer to God. We're trying to become Christians. Some of us maybe have been following Jesus for a little bit of time, you know. Um, but the environment you're in still matters. And just because you're with people that are in the same fight as you, like they're following Jesus, if they're not overflowing with conversation about Jesus, if they're not deeply in love, you see them having their quiet times, you see them fighting to be open, you see them reading scripture, like you either need to challenge them because that's what you want, or you need to find friends that are like that as well because you will become like your environment. And if you want to be someone that is spirit-filled and following faithfully and looking like Jesus, then your environment needs to look the same as well. Um, But I think it can be easy for us to just be comfortable in the household we're in, in the friend group we're in, because those people are like us, but who do you want to become like? You know, like who is really influencing you? And so, you know, I think our environment is so important, you know, having a community that helps you to walk towards God intentionally. Um, And so one of the ways that we can grow in knowing God's will is through obedience. You know, are you a person that is obeying scripture? Like when you see it, do you obey it or do you make excuses? Do you try to justify your own actions? Um, and yeah, like, do you obey when you feel like God is calling you to do certain things? Or are you like, ah, he, I think I'm okay, you know? Um, and so I want to share with you guys a story because I feel like God has been, over the years, it took me time to realize it, but he's been teaching me obedience. Um, and there's one scripture I love. It's in Galatians 5, verse um, 25 and it says now that since you live by the spirit keep in step with the spirit mm-hmm. and and that scripture was my scripture of 2020 and I think it's so powerful because when I read that I was like wow you can have the spirit in you like if you um repented made Jesus Lord of your life been baptized like you have the spirit within you right and if you're trying to be on that journey like continue to pursue it ask people questions Um, So that you can have the spirit within you, but you can have that and still not keep in step with the spirit. Like you're not walking in the, like 
step in step with the spirit. Um, and so this 2020, I was, I'm just naturally rebellious, y'all. I'm a middle child, okay? Three girls. I do not like listening to anyone. Um, and so I became a disciple like almost eight years ago, my freshman year. And, um, you know, I loved God. And I, I gave up the things I needed to give up, but but God has been wanting me to mature for quite some time. So 2020, I I went to visit a friend. She had just had her son, and so I wanted to meet her son. And I went to her house and um, whatever, hung out with them, blah, blah, blah. And then I, I left, and it started sprinkling. And I was like, okay, whatever. I got in my car. I was like, I want some pizza. I'm going to go to uh, Little Caesars. So got in my car. I'm driving. It starts pouring down raining. And I feel in my spirit, I'm like, I feel like I shouldn't go get pizza. But I was like, I want, I want pizza. I'm not about to go home and cook. And so, so I drive. I drive through this rain. I'm going. I'm going. I get to Little Caesars. I get out. I go inside, I order my pizza, and I don't have my wallet. Mm. I, I'm driving without my license. I don't have a car. You know, I, Apple Pay wasn't a vibe back then. So, um, And so I'm like, you know what? I'm going home. I'm getting my wallet. I'm coming back to get this pizza, right? I get in my car. I'm driving home. It's like insanely. Like it's pouring in an insane way. I'm doing my windshield wipers, still can't see, swerving a little bit. We, what is, what is the thing called when you hydroplane a little, a little bit, you know? But I'm like, no, I, I'm getting this pizza. I go home, tear my room apart, look real, just can't find it. Eventually I find it and I just feel like, in that moment I knew I am fighting God, right? I get my wallet, I get in my car, I windshield, right? I go get this pizza. When I bring it home, I literally eat like one slice and I'm like, ugh, whatever. Um, and the next day I like throw it away. I was like, it wasn't even worth the fight that I put up. I know, the people that know me, they and they know I throw my food away, so that's it. That's why I like y'all to come over, eat the rest of my food. Um, so, but I knew in that moment that I was fighting God because there were so many other instances just that semester where I would like try to order something online and then my card get rejected like for no reason or the website shut down random things. I'm like, God, I want the shirt, you know, like just let me get this shirt. Um, but I, I'm, I'm seeing the ways that God is putting these boundary lines. And I'm seeing the ways that I fight against him. And I'm, I'm learning, wow, you know, when I feel like maybe God is saying no, I should just say no and trust that. Because different things came up later for me financially that I couldn't predict that I wish I didn't get that pizza or that shirt, you know. Um, but God knows everything and he's trying to train us so that we can follow him. Um, because obedience is what helps us to grow into maturity. Um, and so the last comparison that Paul makes is getting drunk you know and being filled with the spirit and so um y'all what does getting drunk do like what happens when you're drunk you what you can't stand up you lose control 
You act crazy, right? Lose what? Inhibition? Oh, what's that? You know, so you become really bold, you say things, you live a little bit more recklessly, right? Your prefrontal cortex not functioning. Um, you make a lot more wild decisions. Um, but being filled with the spirit, in a way, it's the opposite, right? Um, like God, God wants us to live a life that is radical, but for him. And when we are living in, in a way where we're overindulging in something else, we can't make decisions that God wants us to make. Um, and so, what, you know, what is something that you may be overindulging in? Because that takes your mind off of God where you can't live in this way that's, that's bold for Jesus, that, that makes decisions that get you closer to him. But I think there's other things, not necessarily wine, because wine in itself is not a bad thing, you know, if you're over 21. Um, but, but overindulgence in that does lead to drunkenness that leads you away from God. And so, but I think there's other things in our lives that we can overindulge in that, that doesn't allow us to be emptied so that we can be filled with the spirit. Um, and so overindulgence leads to impairment. Um, and yeah, well, I'll say this. So being filled with the spirit, um, the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. Um, and it means breath or wind and specifically the energy within those and so the spirit is the energy or presence of god and you can tell when it's there when it's taking up space or not mm -hmm. and uh, i listened to this lesson from tim Mackey, and he just talked about like when his wife is with him he's like cleaner he's neater he he eats well but when she goes out of town he's like eats nothing, you know, just eats some cheeses, um, just like the house is a mess. And he's like, wow, who am I? Am, is this me still? Or is it her that has changed me? And he was just saying when she's with him, she just naturally makes him better. And he was making that comparison of like, that's what it's like when the spirit is with us. We are just naturally better, but we have to have the space for the spirit to be there. Um, and I'll just share this real quick um, before Bryce shares some more. But for me, um, I've always had a challenge with TV. I'm a TV show person through and through, not a movie person, not really. Um, but I would watch hours and hours of TV just binging, you know. And I always would wrestle. I was like, man, is this who I am? I feel like when I watch TV so much, I'm not connected with God. I don't feel closer to God. So do I have to give up TV altogether? You know, to be close to God, because I would go a month, not month fast from it, and I would feel so much closer to God. But then I would go back and just be in the same routine. Um, and I just realized recently that the TV inherently isn't bad, but God wants us to have things in moderation. Um, but and when we don't, we don't have space for the Spirit to be there. And so I think having boundaries when with these things that we can overindulge in creates space for the spirit to actually fill that fill us up um but we have to be willing to to say no to certain things that aren't necessarily sin but too much of it is sinful um to create space for 
for the spirit of God to to be there with us. Um, so Bryce is going to share a little bit more on, on how we create the space for the spirit to fill. Yeah. Like, when studying out the spirit, one of the things that became pretty clear that's important, it's not just, you know, it's not like it was in the Old Testament. It's not God putting his spirit on us. It's us having to empty ourselves so the spirit can be in us. Um, like, like what Gabby was mentioning, the, the scripture, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the spirit. Wine doesn't obviously mean, like, wine's... Don't get drunk on that, but everything, you know, beer, eh, that's okay. Like, it's it's a symbol for the world, right? It's not, like, we gotta be complex thinkers. Like, it's not like, it's not, <laughs> yeah, literal. It's like, don't fill yourself with the world. Because the first John, the world's falling away. The world and its desires fall away. And so, when, when heaven and earth fall away, like, go and read Hebrews 12, 25, like, Heaven and earth will once once more be shaken, and only what can stand will remain. Are you filling your life with what stands, or are you filling it with the world, which is going to pass away with its desires? Um, I was in a D group over the summer, again interning with Northview, and uh, one of the D group lessons we had was like, how structured do you, do you feel your life is? And me, I'm an accountant major, logical thinker. I'm like. Ideally, I'd be a 10. It'd be amazing. Like, my life is run by an Excel spreadsheet. That's my thing. <laughs> but everybody else in the D group was like, you know, like six or seven. And I was like, oh, man, that's kind of that's bad. I was also a six or seven because I felt like I was struggling spiritually. And so I was like, oh, these guys must be struggling too. But they were like, no, I feel, I feel like I'm in a good balance, but I'm a little bit too structured. I need to be a little bit. And so I was like, dang, I got to learn from this. <laughs> like... The reason that this was the topic of the D group lesson, though, was because the next question after how structured do we feel our lives is, w was, how structured do you think Jesus' life was? Mm. Yeah, that made me think a lot. <laughs> and we started, like, really digging into this principle of, like, what did Jesus' life look like? Like, what structured it? And the real thing is, the real answer to this question is, which I love the answer, it, it was his life was structured 10 out of 10. But the thing is, it was structured entirely by the Spirit. Not by his own will, not by what he wanted to, not what he entered in the Excel spreadsheet. It's what God entered in the Excel spreadsheet. Okay. And that's subject to change. Go and read Mark 5. There's this whole passage of, you know, he's going to heal this, uh, this, this guy's daughter who was dying. This father left his daughter's dying side to go to this Messiah so that he, he may heal her. You know how much strength and how much pain it must have been to leave her not knowing if she's going to be alive when you get back, but with the hope that Jesus is going to mm. save her. Mm. And he gets to Jesus. Jesus starts coming with him. It's amazing. There's so much hope. And this woman, out of nowhere, touches his cloak. Mm. And so Jesus, you can imagine, there's this crowd just swarming him. This crowd, it's like pushing him along. He's following this man to heal his daughter. And he stops. And he turns around. Like, he doesn't just stop. He turns all the way around. He starts preaching to this woman. And it goes into what we see as condensed verses, but I just imagine how much time he spent teaching that this woman had such great faith that her faith had healed her. And as a result of Jesus allowing himself to be interrupted, yeah. he has this, um, we have this yeah. amazing story about what this, this woman who's subject to bleeding, her faith, and how she was healed because of it. As he was preaching to this woman, this dude whose daughter was dying, his servants came up and said, your daughter is dead. And you can imagine just I left her side for you to save her. Why didn't you come with yeah. me? You stopped. You took, you wasted time teaching this woman. She was just bleeding. My daughter's dead now. Like how much pain we can imagine he must be feeling, how much pain we would feel, but we don't see him express any of that in the scripture. What we do see is Jesus saying, stop worrying about that. I will raise her from the dead. And he, that's exactly what he does because he let her 
He let the woman initially interrupt him. Not only did we get this amazing story about faith, but we get this story of resurrection from the dead, which broke all of these stigmas about, you know, the Sadducees and Pharisees debating about resurrection and all these things. Jesus proved it because it was God's will for it to all line up in this way, and he was entirely structured by what the Spirit was leading him to do. So to do that, we know that he had to empty himself so that he could only listen to where the Spirit was calling him. In John 5, verse 30, don't worry about turning there, I'll just read it quickly. Jesus himself says, By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. And there's so many passages about that too, where you know the strength, the power came through, came from God through Christ. It was His emptying Himself, allowing that power to work through Him, that made His life so amazing. Like, and He lived by the Spirit His entire life. We sometimes I'll wonder, like, how could Jesus have lived that amazing of a life? But it's because it was entirely the power of God working through Him whenever it was God's will. I want to go into the difference between living with the sinful, sinful mind of the world against what living by the Spirit looks like. Turn over to Romans 8. Right. <laughs> Life by the Spirit. So Romans 8, we're just going to focus on verses 5 through 9. And I've done this before with a verse. First uh, Corinthians 13 talks about, you know, you know, I do all these things, but it's really love that matters. I, I, the way that I phrased that verse was like, you know, though I do this, I'm nothing. Though I do this, I'm nothing. But with love, it overcomes all things. And I want to do the same thing with this scripture here because we see this back and forth. I'm going to be reading Romans 8 verses 5 through 9. We see this back and forth. I'm just going to read one and then the other. But go and feel free to read through all of Romans 8. It's talking about life through the Spirit, what that looks like. But reading through Romans 8, those who, live it, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. The mind of sinful man is death. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. That's what we, that's what we are by nature. That is our sinful nature. It, we cannot please God. Yeah. Going back and looking at what the alternative is. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who lives in you. This passage is so incredible about, like, the power of God and how he wants to extend this to us in the same way that he did to Jesus. In John, John 14, Jesus says, you know, if, if any of you have faith in me, I'm going to paraphrase because uh, just for the sake of time, if any of you have faith in me, you will do what I have been doing. 
I tell you truthfully, you will do even greater things than I have done. We're supposed to be doing greater, like we're supposed to be seeing greater things in our lives in the life of Jesus. How, how does that make sense? We are Christ. We weren't conceived through the Spirit. His conception through the Spirit wasn't what empowered him to do what he did. It was the fact that the Spirit was in him, and that he was listening to it and walking with it. It's the same Spirit. Look in Ephesians. One Spirit, one baptism, one yeah. Father over all. That's the same Spirit that we have in us. If we aren't seeing the life of Christ in our own life, if we aren't seeing the fruit of the Spirit, it's because we aren't listening to the Spirit in the same way that Christ did. And he tells us that we will be doing greater things than he did, not because we have a better Spirit than him. It's because we aren't confined in the same way that Christ yeah. was. We aren't confined by the, the prophecies that he needed to fulfill, the time that he had to die, and the perfect time, and the perfect place, so that he could his message would grow in the way that God knew he, he needed to. Mm -hmm. Instead, we have the ability to go, go to random countries and just preach the word in a way that mm -hmm. Jesus was confined by. That's why we're doing greater things. We're, we're, it's his call to action right when he returns. Make disciples of all nations. Show them the spirit that's given life to him in the same way that it gives life to us. Um, I lost my paper. There it is. <laughs> oh, we're doing all the time. More. I eat God's word. I'll read the vibe. Uh, there's, a, there's, another, there's another development that I don't know if it's wisest to go into, so I'm just going to go into what I know will be helpful. I... Um, the reason that I started studying out the Spirit was I was sitting with my, with my Nana, my grandmother in our basement, um, because they've been living with us for the past like six years. It's been incredible just learning the wisdom from them. I was sitting with her and she was watching the recording of this North River service. And at the end of it, when I was sitting with her, it was this young man getting baptized. And his mom came up to him. This man with special needs. His mom was making... He, she was condensing the beauty of God's plan in a way that, like, it just resonated so much with the way that Christ did with the parables. She said, you know, you're, you're making this decision to, to have Christ be the Lord of your life, right? To follow God in all things. And so, as a result of this decision, I mean, Acts says it clearly, we will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because you're receiving this gift, it's a responsibility. We need to make sure that we're making a welcome home for the Spirit. We're not taking it in places where the Spirit can't where it's uncomfortable being. We can't take it and show it things that it doesn't want to see. Because what fellowship can light have with darkness? We can't enter, we can't allow anything to creep in that the spirit can't live in because the sinful mind is hostile to God. He can't, it's not even that he can't bear to be in it, but it's that when we choose sin, sin can't be in the presence of God. So darkness is where we, we get led into. Mark 3 talks about a house divided against itself. Jesus is... He's being accused of the works that he's doing, these miracles he's performing, driving out demons. He's being accused that the power that's, that's enabling him to do this is from Satan, from Beelzebub. I'm just reading this passage in verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples weren't even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. They said, he's out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. So Jesus called to them and spoke to them in parables. 
How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom can't stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions until he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob the house. I tell you the truth. All sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. And the reason that I like Mark's account of this peculiarly is because this next verse, he said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. So the reason that he's saying this dense verse that is very complicated, hard to digest, blasphemy against the spirit will never be forgiven, the reason that he's saying that is because they were telling him that he had an evil spirit. And the way that it, it seems to me is these people were seeing the power of God. They were seeing God's work, and they were calling it Satan. How can the spirit of God live in you if whenever you see it, you run away from it? It's Satan. You turn away. How can the spirit of God live in you if when you see God working, you flee from it? You not only turn away from it as false teaching, but you attribute it to Satan. The Spirit can't live in you. You can't be brought life through the way that Christ knows we need to if you deny His power. And so, what I want to do now is something that I've been doing pretty recently in studying out the Spirit, just taking time and emptying myself. Because there are times when school seems overwhelming or when there are sins I feel just disconnected from God. I don't see that... I don't feel like I have spiritual eyes that I can see with the, spirit, the way the Spirit's working, so I need to empty myself. I know that it's because there's something that I'm focusing on in the world that I need to empty so that the Spirit can be where, what my mind is led by. So for the next two minutes, I'm going to have us all just practice just silence and listening, emptying ourselves, thinking of the things that we're focusing on in the world that we need to pass away so that we can focus on what is unseen, not what is seen. So two minutes, I'm going to start the timer.